Well, sometimes art says it a lot better than any sermon can. Um, but I'm going to try to provide a little bit of commentary this morning. And we are, we're going to talk about money. And uh, I know, there's no spontaneous applause. That was weird. Um, when I said that, actually, the first service, we had people leave. Um, it's one of those things uh, we don't want to talk about. Um, and I got to tell you, as a pastor, I feel really conflicted talking about money. I feel really weird. Um, because I'm a direct beneficiary of your giving to this church. Right? As somebody who's on salary, I have something directly to gain. And I know for me, I'm, I'm a naturally a cynic in many ways. And so just to, in the spirit of total disclosure, um, over the last few weeks in getting ready uh, for talking about money, um, I listened to about a dozen sermons while I worked out and, and just kind of getting the creative juices flowing and listening to how other pastors talk about money. And I think I made it through two of them. The rest of them I shut off. And because uh, I, it's that my inner cynic rises up. It's like, of course you're going to say that, right? If people don't give, you don't get paid. All right, but I think that's that's more like my issue uh, than their issue. Um, but you got to know, like in talking about this subject, um, I just come before you as a as a conflicted individual. But we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Um, and I would suggest to you that part of our problem is um, none of us think it's our problem, um, which is a big problem, right? If you're familiar at all with, like, recovery programs, uh, so, like, AA, like, what's the first step? Anybody know? Yeah, wow, that was, yeah, right on the money. Yeah, like, admit we have an issue, and I got it on the screen. Yep, we admit that we are powerless. Boom, nailed it. Powerless over our addiction, over alcohol. And that our life, as a result, has become unmanageable. Now, here's the hard part about money. If it is, in fact, an addiction, and materialism, what buy, money can buy us, if it is, it doesn't work like most addictions. All right, it doesn't often leave us powerless. Unless we spend and spend and spend, and we get ourselves into so much debt we can't breathe, and we go bankrupt. That's obvious, but for most of us, that's not the case. Right? It's one of those things, this particular addiction, the more you have of it, the more powerful you feel. Right? actually works, it works in opposite. And in fact, I would say, most of us probably don't feel like we're at a point in our lives where we'd say, you know what, I'm such a slave to things and materialism that my life has become unmanageable. I don't think many of us would say that. I think most of us feel that we're managing um, just fine. And here's the scary part. So as, as far as working through addiction, again, if it is in fact an addiction, um, anybody who's in a recovery program or, or leading one will tell you addictions are most powerful when they remain in the dark. Right? They feed there. They fester there. They don't, there's no change possible. You can't help somebody who won't admit they have a problem. And so this morning, as painful as it might be, uh, I'm going to suggest to you that we have a problem. And that's a very big problem. All right, so, so let's start by just doing just a little bit of self-assessment, if we could. All right, when, when I tell you we're talking about money, how does that make you feel? All right, maybe your arms are crossed, if not physically, in here. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I told you, babe. We, should not, we came to the wrong church, or you should have stayed home this morning. Right, how do you feel, honestly? What if I told you we were going to sit down over coffee, And I'm going to ask you how much money you make every month and how much of that money you give away. How does that make you feel? 
Right, it's very interesting. This is just one of those issues that, that we, don't, we don't talk about a lot. And, and here's the thing as a pastor, I know this. Right? When, I, when I tell people that we're going to talk about money ahead of Sunday morning when I'm going to, guess what attendance does? goes down noticeably. Why is that? Like, what, what might that suggest about us? I know that when this sermon goes on our podcast, the title is going to be I Give. And I know as a result, it's going to be listened to uh, just a fraction of the time, like much less than our normal podcast. Yeah, they don't want to feel bad. We don't want to feel bad. We don't want to suggest maybe we have a problem here. And here's the weird thing about it. Right? We, when, we, when we talk about money, right, is our natural inclination, is our feeling like, yeah, you know what, let's do talk about money because I've got nothing to hide. Let's do, like, I want to know how can I be more generous towards God and towards people? Like, I want to honor God with my finances. Please, let's talk about it. Right? That's not naturally our response. Right? We avoid it. It's weird. This is like the untouchable issue. So, like, in the 11 years or whatever that I've been in ministry, like, guys are far more likely to come to me and talk about their pornography addiction than talk about money. What is that? Right? I've had a lot of guys over the years, you know, come to me and say, man, I got to get this thing under control. I'm addicted to, to porn. Can you help me get some software um, for my phone or my laptop? You know, and if I do that, would you help me be accountable? Right? I've heard a lot of that, but not once. I've never had somebody come up to me and say, you know what, I need to get my materialism under control. Right? And so if you would, can we sit down every week or every month and look at how much my, I make and how much money I'm giving away? Never. Not a single person. Right, what is that? Why don't we want to talk about it? Why don't we want to even think about it? Why are some of you already angry with me right now? Right? And why is there a tension in this room? You know what I mean? And just so you know, there's going to be a tension. Why is that? Why is this the thing? I would suggest it's because it's, it's an issue. Um, and, and I'm learning that, you know, I, I just need to get over myself on this one as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus. Um, partially, and, and we need to talk about this, and partially because I would suggest to you that you and I have grown up in, in a culture that has a lifestyle obsession that if we have a false god, that this is the one. And secondly, that the scriptures have so much, they, it's exhaustive on this issue. It's everywhere. You know, literally in the Bible, there's thousands, not hundreds, thousands of passages that talk about finances. All right, if you look in the book of Luke, one out of every seven verses is on money. Jesus, like 19 of his 30 parables, almost two-thirds of them, are in an economic context. Right? Jesus talked about money more than any other issue other than the kingdom of God. He talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. So apparently, Jesus and God thinks this is, this is a pretty big deal. Right? And so we got to talk about it. So here's a question. I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, by the way. Do you think it's possible, given what I just shared, how much Jesus just beat this drum and talked about it all the time, as well as those who came before him and came after him in the scriptures, do you think it's possible to faithfully follow Jesus and never talk about money? Do you think it's possible to faithfully follow Jesus and never give him access to your money when he seems to be really interested in what we're doing there? 
Just ask some questions. So ask some questions. So here's the thing. Um, here's another question. Shoot, Jesus, of all his teaching, about 25% of his total teachings was on money. About 25%. All right, so here's another question. Could you say, in your spiritual journey, which is totally unique to you, doesn't look like anybody else's, but for you, as you reflect on your journey, could you say that 25% of your time and energy has been spent trying to, to figure out and learn how to honor God with your finances? Right, how to work harder, budget better, give more away, right, identify where God is moving, figure out how to give more to kingdom initiatives. Right, I would venture to guess probably very few of us would say, yeah, 25%? Easy, got that. What would that number be, though, for you? I can't answer that for you. Would it even be 10%? Right, or is it so low that it doesn't even register? Right, this is that untouchable issue. We've got to talk about it. We got to talk about. It. So here's here's what I'm going to do. I want to open up a passage of scripture that I wish wasn't in the Bible. And I know as a pastor you're not supposed to say that, but I just did. Um, but in all seriousness, if I could remove one, this would be one of the few that I just I wish I could take out. And and I say that because this is one is really hard I think for us. And if there's thousands of passages on, uh, that we could look to potentially. Um, this one I think is really hard and very relevant um, for us. And so I want to start in Matthew 19. And so if you've got a Bible, I'm going there. Uh, If you've got a smartphone in our app, version, it's in there as well. And here's what's going on. Jesus is approached by um, a, a wealthy young man, kind of a young professional type. He's talented, he's motivated, he's done well for himself, And he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. This is what it says. Just then this man came up to Jesus and he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, he said, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Going through the commandments, this guy would have known these well. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what the man says. The man says, you know, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then, after you do that, then come follow me. All right, it's worth noting this is the only time that Jesus said this particular thing. All right, so this isn't one of those things we just apply broadly. Real Christians don't own anything. I don't think that's the application here. But why does he say it to this man? I would, I would suggest, especially based on the young man's response to Jesus' words, that this was his addiction, perhaps like some of us, perhaps like many of us. This is the one area of his life. It's like, God, Jesus, don't go there. Right? You can have all these other things. I'm doing well checking off the boxes, but don't mess with my stuff. Don't mess with my money. And this is how he responded. Right, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Right? And then, oh, okay, we'll just stop there for a second. I know none of us would ever do this, right? Who would honestly turn Jesus down on this one? Right? And just say, sorry, and walk away. I, I wonder if more of us don't do this than we realize. Right? Just some stats for you to weigh for yourself. Right? If, I don't check what you guys give. 
So I have no idea as individuals how many of you are giving to Mosaic or how much you give or anything like that. I don't do that. We don't roll like that. Um, but if Mosaic is like the average church, right, statistically we're consistent, then many of us in this room this year will spend more money on coffee than we will giving to kingdom causes. Like, just let that settle for a second. What does that say about us? And whether or not we might have a problem in this area. Right, the average American loses about $100 in change every year. About 100 bucks. It's probably getting, that's probably getting lower as less of us carry cash. But the last statistic I saw, about 100 bucks in change. And that's more than one in four church members will give to their church that year. Right, do you know this average, average American spends about six hours a week shopping? Right, whether that's online, perusing Amazon or whatever. Right, or walking through a mall. Six hours, average. But the average American spends 40 minutes playing with their kids. Those who have them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? What does that say about us? I would suggest to you that we have a problem. This, this consumes us. All right, here's a question. Right, when you wake up in the morning, what, what's on your mind? What's on the forefront of your mind? What are you thinking about? The coffee. <laughs> That's a good answer. Okay, after the coffee. <laughs> Is anything like this? Man, how can, how can I be more generous? How can I give more of what God has entrusted me to people who need it more than I do? Or to what God's doing here and now? Or is it more like, how are we going to get by? How am I going to pay the bills this month? How are we ever going to get the balance off this credit card while I'm paying the, the, the minimum payments? Answer, about 30 years, I guess. All right, what, what, again, what is that, depending on where you're at, I can't answer that for you. But what does that say about our hearts? All right, so Jesus continues the conversation, and then he turns it up to 11. Right, and he says something very hard. And this is what he says. He says, then Jesus turned to his disciples after this young man went away. He said, truly I tell you, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Do you think Jesus was telling the truth? Do you think he just is like over-exaggerating, like got caught up in the moment, being overly dramatic here, not really being honest? Right, or do you think he was telling the truth? I know for me, like, I feel like when I see rich, I don't think of myself oftentimes. I think of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and these guys with, you know, excess cash all over the place. Right, but again, I think we need to zoom out a little bit. And I'm just going to throw some stats at you, and let's just wrestle with this a little bit together, okay? 900, 900 million people do not have access to clean drinking water. Right, which accounts for about 80% of sickness and disease, as we know it. 900 million. You know what we do in our house for clean drinking water? We have a jug that used to have water. You know, we bought it with water in it. And we go over to the tap, and we fill that up. And we put it back in the fridge. And whenever we run out, we go over to the tap, and fill it up, and put it back in the fridge. All right, 900 million. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I, our toilet water is far more sanitary than what most people have access to. And it causes a lot of disease and sickness. You think we're wealthy? Would that suggest that we're wealthy? 
60% of people of the world lives on less than $2 a day. That's like half of a, you know, large specialty cup of coffee at Starbucks. $2 a day, 60% of the world. If you, in fact, if you make 1500 bucks in income last year, just 1500 bucks, that puts you in the top 20% of earners in the world. You are richer than 80% of the world if you made $1,500 last year. Crazy. You got a vehicle? All right, that puts you in the richest 3% in the world. All right, and Bill shared this last week. If you earn over $50,000 annually, you are in the wealthiest 1% of the entire world. All right, isn't that crazy? All right, just let those sink in. I know some of you are already angry and you've shut me off and you'd leave if it wasn't awkward and I already called those people out so you don't want to be that person. But just let that sink in if you can. All right, why don't we feel rich? We still don't feel rich. Why is that? Right, we have, we, I mean, we have to wrestle with the fact that in most of the rest of the world, you run into somebody who fits some of these stats or on the other side of these stats, they would come to us and they would say, you're kidding me, you have running water in your house? You have heat and air conditioning? You have a house for your car? What is it like to be rich? Tell me it's as good as I dreamed it is. Right, but we don't feel rich. And I would suggest because most of us have a very small margin between how much we make and how much we spend. It's madness. Right, people on the ridge are filing for bankruptcy. Right, this is, this is craziness. Like, we feel, we feel good because it's like, you know what, I know people who are wealthier than me, and I know people that are a lot poorer than me, so I'm like safe in the middle. Right? But it's like, People on the ridge are filing for bankruptcy. I used to work for the People City Mission, right? And we had some people buying brand new iPhones and Xboxes and living at the mission. All right, now, is there a real need there? Yes, there is. Are they doing a good work? Absolutely. But all I'm pointing out is we are jacked up. We are messed up because we feel like that's, like that's normal. Like we're entitled to those things. Whatever those things are. And they're different for all of us. All right, so little breathing room. So a little breathing. What would happen if your car died, right? Mechanic says, sorry, $4,000 for a new engine. All right, what would that do to you? Right, what if for two months, something happened and for two months you couldn't work? For most of us, immediate crisis mode. Right, completely broke. Right, we go from wherever, however we're living now to bankrupt. All right. It's tough. Right, some of us have bought into the lie that just because we can afford a mortgage payment, we can afford a house. I was one of those people. Right, one of the worst financial decisions that Megan and I ever made was buying our first home. Right, and we could afford a mortgage, and everybody told us it's a wise investment. You're not, you know, pouring rent money down the drain anymore. You're actually building equity. Like this is a smart move. The problem, however, is though we could afford a mortgage payment, but we couldn't afford a mortgage payment and be generous at the same time. And so there was a year or two there where we were not generous people, right? We were paying to the mortgage, right? But we felt entitled to that. That's normal. Everybody told us that's, that's the next thing you got to do, but we weren't generous. What is that? You know, Jesus actually points out something that should be a little bit scary for us, right? He actually points out that those of us who have money as the wealthiest, some of the wealthiest people in the world, which I think would be us, that we are actually at a disadvantage spiritually, 
right? That, that we will not be a people who stumble into generosity or freedom from our stuff. That we're going to have to fight a lot harder than the rest of the world or we will be enslaved, right? And then Jesus says those chilling words, it's so hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I hate those words. I wish I could take them out. Those should be chilling words for the wealthiest people in the world. So where do we go from here? Uh, what, what are we supposed to do with this? Um, a couple words on tithing, right? If you've been around the church world, how many, well, I won't even ask that. Most of us, if you've been around the church world, you've heard probably pastors talk about tithing. And tithing is one of those things that we kind of default to, I think, in the church because we all want a hard number. And 10% seems pretty easy, especially when you see, like, the word, you know, in the Old Testament, New Testament. So Hebrew Greek, when it talks about tithing, it actually literally means 10%, right? But if you look at all the different tithes that there were, the scholarship is a little bit, there's some variance, but it's roughly, they gave away about 23% to 30% of their income, depending on the year, right, to these different things that God had mandated, all right? And so to say, well, 10% is just what God wants, like, that's not exactly as clear or as obvious as as sometimes we make it out to be. And I don't like that 10% figure, and I'll tell you why. Do you think it's possible to give 10% of your income for somebody? Don't think about yourself for a moment. Do you think it's possible for somebody to give 10% of their income and not be generous? I, th- I would say so. Right? Recently, I was, you know, probably a couple years ago, I was sitting down with a guy who makes about six figures a year, um, has a lot of toys, right, enjoys himself, eats out constantly, um, lives very, very comfortably. And we were talking, he's an empty nester, kind of coming down like the home stretch of his life, as free as he'll probably ever be right now, and, but still working. So rolling in, um, you know, a fair amount of money. And we were talking, you know, and, and I was looking around at like the pool table and the Jeep and like all these different things. And, and, and I said, you know, I said, man, You've got who knows how many years, let's say 20, 30 years left in your life. Like right now, you could be leaving such an amazing legacy. I mean, you could be a part of some life-changing, groundbreaking stuff that's going to continue to change lives when your life is over. You know, it's like, don't you want to do that? I mean, like, what do you think? You know, and, and he said, he turned to me, he said, you know what? He said, me and my wife, we've, we've tied 10% for over 25 years. You know, and I just, sometimes I'm a coward, but I leaned into this moment. And I said, do you, do you think that maybe, like, God didn't want you to, like, just do the bare minimum for 25 years? Like, or what you understood to be the bare minimum? Like, do you think maybe, like, God actually wanted to grow your generosity over time? You know? And, and he wasn't very happy um, about that. <laughs> right, but, but he, that's why I don't like the 10% number, right, is, is it's, it's a hard number that, honestly, it's not, it's, it doesn't work for all of us. Um, you know, so like for Megan and I, like our family, we can give more than 10%, and we should be, and we need to be. Uh, for us, je- to be generous, the call to be generous, it's more than 10%, right? And for some of us, because of life circumstances and what has happened, 10% is not feasible, Right, for some of us, 3%, 4% is incredibly generous, and it hurts. You know what I mean? It, it affects our lifestyle. Right? And so I don't like that number, 10%. I think we actually have to do the hard work of asking, what does being generous look like for me? 
At what point does it affect my lifestyle where I actually have to make some changes to give, to be generous towards God, and to be, to be generous towards other people? All right, so there's a part of this, like, you just have to figure that out. And I know that's not, like, for us rule followers who want a number to check off the box, that doesn't feel very good. Um, but, but that's just the truth. All right, and, and that being said, kind of strapped on time here. If you can hear one thing this morning, one truth that, that we need to figure out, especially as we're thinking about money, right, it's this. It's that you and I, we don't own anything, right? Nothing is ours, right? We are just stewards of what God has temporarily entrusted to us, right? And it can be very confusing because I don't know about your world, but in my world, I get mail at an address that bears my name. You know what I mean? Like the mortgage payment, the deed to the house, it's, on, it's my name. The title to my car is my name, right? And it can start to feel like it's mine, right? But God is really clear. It's not yours, all right? So I'm going to machine gun just a few passages at you. Exodus 19.5, right? God says, the whole earth is mine. Not in a vague sense. It's just, it's all mine. What you see, your Honda, it's mine. Your skinny jeans, they're mine. <laughs> Whatever that is, right? It's mine, Job 41.11, God says, Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole earth, or under the whole heaven, it's mine. Right? The implication is, everything you have, I've given to you. I don't need to repay you, because it's mine to begin with. Right? Psalms 50.10, right? For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, it's mine. Right, Haggai uh, 2.8, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. I can never get that book of the Bible right. Um, says this, the, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Right? All the money, it's mine. The credit cards in my pocket, those aren't yours, Aaron. Those belong to me. And all the money in the account, it's mine. And I've entrusted that to you for a time. Deuteronomy 8.17, this is huge for us. Beware, lest your heart in your heart, you say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. This is hard for us, especially those of us who have like, actually jumped through the hoops of getting an education, and we've got the student loans to prove it, you know, and, and we're, we're, we've worked hard, and we've got a job that's maybe kind of hard to get, you know, um, and we're trying to repay those loans, and it can start to feel like, man, look at what I've done for myself. Like, at some point, I deserve to eat, drink, and be merry because I've worked my butt off, all right? And, and part, of that, part of that is a little bit true, all right? God gives us things both to enjoy and to give away. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life, okay? Let's just say that out loud, okay? But God also says, look, beware that you don't start to actually think that the reason you have what you have is because of you because I'm the one that puts you where you are and gave you the ability and the mind and the talent to get those things. All right, when I was 10 years old, I traveled with my dad down to the Dominican Republic and doing some mission trip work, and there was some fun kind of peppered in. And there was one night that we were walking on the streets of Santo Domingo, and we were on our way actually down to this cruise on a boat down this river, and it was going to be just feasting and dancing all night. It was supposed to be like one of the big celebration nights after working outside all day. And when we were down there, this, this kid who was my age approached us, and he was selling these like filthy, dirty peanuts that he had dug with his own hands and asking like nothing for them. 
And I sat down with him, and through a translator, come to find out, like, this kid just lives on the streets. He's got nowhere to go. His dad left as soon as his mom got pregnant, and his mom died when he was, like, five. So he'd been on the streets for, like, five years. Has nothing. No shoes. Filthy. Sleeps under the stars every night. I mean, just 10 years old. And here we go. And we're sitting there talking, and, and I... I gave him, like, I, I lost it, all right? I, I, this blows my 10-year-old mind because I live in a world where, like, the worst problem of my day is trying to beat Mike Tyson's punch-out on NAS, you know? And I meet this kid, and he's got nothing. And, and that, it wrecked me. Like, we go down this river, and, and, you know, everybody's dancing and singing, and I just... I was, a, I was a mess. And what I couldn't understand is, is what sets him apart from me. Like, why, why him in those circumstances and why me with everything that I had growing up? Like, why? You know, because I can tell you what, it's not because I'm, I'm smarter or sharper or more talented or worked harder. It's simply because I grew up in a country Right, in a lineage of people who had all types of resources at their fingertips and all types of help and opportunities. And he did not. And as a result, I know that in my life, I have more opportunities and an education and have more wealth than he and millions like him will ever have. And I know that someday... I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with what I entrusted you to or I entrusted you with? What did you do with all that money? Right, when all that stuff was going on, you know, just on the other side of the planet, right, or in your own city, like, did, were you generous and selfless? Right, were you asking, how can I be more generous towards God and, and help people? Right, or were you just buying another pair of pants? You know, and that—that's for me—is a sobering question, and and I think, I think it should be a sobering question for, for a lot of us, right? And so, you know, for Megan and I, so getting really practical, you know, I'll just say like we don't, so we don't have cable television, all right? And I wish we did. I really do especially while the Olympics have been going on, like, it is so hard for me to know that the Olympics are going on and we don't have cable because I love the Olympics, right? But for us, and we haven't had cable for just about the whole 11 years we've been married, and and we've we've just decided that's one of those things that we're just not going to have, at least not until the end of the foreseeable future. Now, is it because cable television is inherently bad? No. Should you feel guilty if you have cable Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. No. Can you be generous and have cable? Of course you can. But we can't. We can't. Right, so for us, we decided a long time ago that we were going to give, to start with, we were going to give our first 10% of everything that we make to the local church because we believe in it. And we're going to do that. And then we're going to grow in generosity as we get older. Right? And we know that we can't do the cable TV thing 
or buy a second vehicle, you know, things that we've said no to, and give that money to our local church. We can't have cable and support missionaries in Berlin. We can't have cable and support our World Vision child in Zimbabwe. We know that we can't have cable and pull our girls in when we have a little excess money and, and buy goats and ducks and sheep for families who need them in Africa. Right? Or support organizations that are rescuing women out of human trafficking, out of sex trafficking, and housing them and educating them. We can't do both things. And for us, we've just decided, you know what? That's a no-brainer. We will do without cable. We will suffer on Netflix because that's so bad and so hard. It requires so much of us. Right? But it's a small decision, you know? It's just one example. But for, those, for us, like, that's just where we're at. And you got to know, for us, like, our vision for our life, like, we've got some big plans and some big dreams that go beyond next year. You know, and so for us, like, our goal is 20 years from now that our house is paid off and we're completely debt-free. And so I can take our $1,000 mortgage payment a month and any more that I make, you know, increase salary over the next 20 years, and all of that will be disposable income, right? And we want to give that away. We want to be those people that when somebody is going to plant a church in a city that desperately needs it, that, that in our tribe, like people know you call Aaron and Megan because they love to give, and guess what? They can because of how they chose to live over the last couple decades. You know, we want to be those people that are involved in just giving, building hospitals, building wells, like kingdom initiatives all over the world. And we can actually do that. It requires some sacrifices over the next two decades and some discipline. Right, but that's, that's our dream. And by God's grace, we're going to get there. And I, and I know something. I know that I'm not going to wake up one day. Megan and I are just not going to wake up one day and be in that position on accident. And I know that we are, are not going to just wake up one day and all of a sudden be a generous couple. Right, but either we are nurturing that in ourselves and becoming more selfless and, and giving and making that a part of our discipline and our rhythm and becoming more and more generous. Right? Or we're going the other way. And you've got to understand, Jesus was so dichotomous on this issue, more than anybody else. Right? He said that we are going to serve one of two things. We're going to serve God or we're going to serve money, but we can't serve both. One will be our master and one will not. So we have to make a choice. Either we will serve God with our money Right? Or, knowingly or unknowingly, we will end up serving money as our God. And we have to make that choice. And we make that choice, by the way, every single day. And so as hard as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, with all the tension you might be feeling right now, we got to talk about this. Because it's, it's a heart issue. It is such a spiritual issue. Right? Jesus said, like, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if it's all going towards stuff, guess where your heart is? Giving is a part of freeing us. And by the way, it doesn't have to happen here. You know that, right? Like when I say kingdom initiatives, I'm using that intentionally. It doesn't have to all be a mosaic. It's not what I'm saying. We already took the offering. We did that for a reason. All right? We will never give an offering after a talk like this. I refuse to be that guy. All right? But it's up to you to decide where that money goes. If you believe in Mosaic, awesome. 
But there are a lot of other great things to give you resources to as well. All right, so that's, that's about all I got. So here's the thing. I know that for some of us, like we live where we're at right now is a consequence of, you know, just lots of accumulation of decisions. Some of those, you know, some of our, where we're at right now financially is because of the decisions we've made. Some of it maybe we're totally a victim to circumstances. I totally get that. But a lot of us have some serious debt and maybe have never been disciplined with our finances before. And debt is so crippling because it robs us of our ability to be generous. You just can't when you're being crushed by debt. Right? And so we've got one of our own uh, financial experts, if you will, Justin Pruitt. That's what he does vocationally. Has volunteered his time to sit down with any or all of us and work through our finances and talk about getting rid of debt and investing for the future. Right? And really getting an accurate picture of where we are and how we can move forward in a healthy and generous way. Right? And so next Sunday and the Sunday after, we're going to have a couple classes. It's going to be the same class. It's going to be right back here next to the kids' area in the teacher's lounge at 11 a.m. the next two Sundays. And we'll push all the information on the app and on Facebook and all that stuff, just so you know. Right? But if you want to just sit down with a neutral party and say, all right, let's talk about this, because I've never had somebody to come alongside me and teach me about money, uh, that's what that's for. And I invite you to be a part of it. All right, so let's, I know I've gone long. Thanks for being awesome. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I, I think that I thank you for entrusting us with as much as you have. I thank you for, certainly for the abilities and the opportunities that we have that other people in the world will never have. But I also recognize that with that comes a tremendous responsibility and a spiritual disadvantage. Right, your words just echo in my heart in almost a, a haunting way. Right, that, that those who are unfaithful with a little, that which what they have will be taken from them. Right, your words that those who have been given much that much will be expected. And that as the wealthiest people in the world, I think that's talking about us. And so, Lord God, I, I ask for the courage to really just soften our hearts and, and invite you into this area of our lives, as hard as, and as uncomfortable as that might be. Lord, I ask that you would give us hearts, not of stone, but of flesh, hearts that beat for what your heart beats for, hearts that break for what your heart breaks for, hearts that are moved to be selfless and generous and to give to those things that will far outlast us, what you are doing here and now that will continue in your kingdom. So Lord, we come before you, probably a conflicted people, people very much needing your grace this morning. And we thank you that your grace keeps on coming and coming and coming no matter the issue we're talking about. And so as we stand, as we worship together as your people, Lord, uh, we affirm what these words say and what we sing, that you want it all. You want all of us, not just our money. You want our heart. You want our affections, our plans, our dreams, our lives so that you can use us to continue your work, to do your kingdom work here in our city.